0: Good evening. Listening to Chasing Prophecy Radio, where we discuss anything and everything beyond the scope of normal. On UPRN Talk Radio, FM 107.7 in New Orleans and FM 105.3 in Mississippi. If it's unexplainable, we're talking about it.
1: Whether you're a believer or a skeptic, we cover everything where the unknown becomes the known.
0: And now, now, here's your host, host, Jenny Jenny Nicasio. Nicasio. Hello everyone, New Orleans and beyond. This is Jenny on FM 107.7 and 105.3 in Henderson Park, New Orleans and streaming everywhere around the world. I'm Jenny Nicasio, streaming on the United Public Radio. I hope you all can hear me. Sometimes this thing doesn't really work. Sometimes it does, and hopefully it does tonight. So I just want to let everyone know that you can comment in the chat if you have any questions for me or our guest tonight. But first, I want to talk about some of the today's hot news in and around the world and in the paranormal realm. Ron DeSantis withdrew his candidacy for the presidency, so that's good. That's good news uh, for all the conservatives out there. It's a hot topic all over the news tonight, so um, if you want to chime in anytime, you can chime in. But we're going to uh, look at some some news headlines today. Um, and around, well, just not today, the last couple days, so the UFO and extraterrestrial realm um recent headlights discuss the legislators and the briefing the classified briefing um of the of the jellyfish um upa um i think i said that wrong again um but there's a lot of talk about that um jeffrey jeremy I can't remember his last name, but anyways, I think you guys know who he is. um, Who has the documentary UFO uh, revolution out there. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see it, um, but it looks like uh, the Pentagon did what they said was they didn't deny it or they didn't confirm that it was true. Um, It was authentic. So, That leads me to believe that it's probably for real. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see the documentary, but I watched season one, two, and I'm not season one episodes one, two, and three. And it looks at first when I saw it, I thought it was a smudge on the lens, or even some people thought it was snot. (laughs) Um, But the more you look at it and how it changes, it makes you really believe that it could be something so that's good news. Um, so, but the, the Pentagon said that they don't, they're not denying it, but they're not confirming that it is authentic. So I think that's the only thing I don't understand about, um, all these hearings that, uh, they plan to have and had in the past. Their transparency is not like, I thought they were going to let us know what it is. A lot of people um, claim that they don't think we can handle the truth. Um, I don't understand why they think we're like little kids sitting at the at the little kids table at Thanksgiving. Uh, I don't get it. We're adults. We can handle it, no matter what it is. But that's one of the things. Uh, there's also unexplained astronomical. Uh, Events out there, astronomy events that's happening. Uh, astronomers have reported and discovered a cosmic object that defies current scientific explanation out there. They're not telling exactly what it is, but they're saying it's unusual. But that's something to uh, keep your eyes towards the news to see what they come up. What, what is this? Is this another black hole? Um, could it be some kind of portal out there? Uh, is it a new comet that's going to hit us? Oh, that's something to think about. I don't. I'm not really sure. I, I like the idea of a comet coming at us at you know from billions light years away. Um, so that sounds like it could be good. But um, there's a lot. There's a new documentary out there, and I'm trying to get the author on. I've emailed him a couple times. Um, it's a new docu series. Um, on It's called God versus UFOs. Now this is making waves all over the internet and TikTok. And it might be interesting to explore because there's, there's themes and claims made in this documentary that that's going to make us really think about our, our belief system and what we believe to be, uh, like the beginning of Christianity, Jesus Christ, uh, everything from the big bang into, um, supernatural things that are occurring that, This is a really good, uh, documentary and you could probably get the book too on Amazon. It's called God versus UFOs. Some other, some other news in the paranormal field, supernatural healing and nature. So a lot of people now. I've claimed this before, and I do believe that you can heal your body through, uh, trees. Now I know a lot of people think I'm nuts. Um, those are the same people like myself who believe in earthing. So that's a new thing that, um, there's been a lot of scientific research saying that you can be healed uh through the trees by touching them and it's can if you go out there even in the winter time there's some kind of energy that's coming from the trees roots that actually heal which is so cool and i too totally hi mark hi cindy i totally believe that this is a phenomena that um is legit. I mean, I've talked about this a number of times in the past on the show, how I believe that my tree outside healed my legs. Uh, at one point I could not stand without falling over cause my legs would go numb. So there's a lot of new research on that. And then, um, another headline, Pope Francis, his, he did a presentation on hell, <laughs> which could lead to a discussion on a whole new topic. So we're going to, um, Dwell into that in future shows and how um, he believes uh, hell is, you know, something really legit. But, you know, I heard a lot of stuff in Catholic religion that there's really, they talk about hell and they, you know, deliver us from evil. But no one really actually has an open discussion about it. So this is is something to look at. Uh, Some new other news. A woman believes she contracted cancer due to the curse of Pompeii. So I don't know if you know the whole story about Pompeii, but that's something to, you never know. Uh, She's, there's a lot of discussion on that in the paranormal field about that too, about how she was cursed and now she has cancer. I think that curses are legit. Uh, I do believe they've been cursing people forever. Um, Even talks about curses in the Bible. So that could be something um, to talk about in the future on um, more news alien observations and ancient civilization there's a theory suggesting that aliens could be observing ancient civilizations on earth now we know this through all the caves if you go back in history there's caves that actually show um figures going even into the pyramids you know in those caves where the they have all the uh, mummies that there is there are pictures of human beings with helmets on So, they could be ancient aliens. So that's that's good that they're talking about that now, and they've always been talking about that. And another news: a young Uganda, an African magician reportedly used bees to handcuff a thief. This could open a discussion. Could you imagine being handcuffed with being in bees? Oh my god! And he uses magic um, and supernatural methods um, to actually capture this this thief that's really weird and then we also have Suzanne Summer's passing um her husband has now had some experiences that he truly believes now that there is life after death and we don't have to talk about that we all know that and so that's that's another one and recent there's been um I have this one that let me see if I can pull this up um Let me see if I can find it. There's an airline that actually was in the news stating that they admitted to using chemtrails with chemicals, spraying them on us. So that's exciting. I know. I mean, they've been doing chemtrails for every, every oh my God. Have you ever gone outside and see the the chemtrails? You know they're poisoning us. Uh, I don't know why they can get away with that. How they're trying to kill us with all these chemtrails. And other news, the NATO tells us to prepare for war. How exciting is that? <laughs> I don't understand how this could be happening. And um, there's a lot of crazy stuff. It kind of makes me upset about it that, you know, we, we're dealing with this kind of stuff nowadays. There's just so much stuff going on. And then also uh, going back to the the Miami incident with the creatures, the nine foot creatures, they're saying that the news is blowing it off, but it's all over there and it still keeps going on and on. So it kind of makes me wonder how much, how many more other, um, events are going to happen before they actually tell we are being invaded. I mean, they're all over. We were getting more and more reports about these incidents where creatures are being seen in people's backyards. So, how I many? How long is this going to go on? It's kind of crazy, if you ask me, that it keeps going on and on and on. It just doesn't seem it doesn't seem real that we live in a day and age where they can't be. They're saying they're going to be transparent about this stuff, but we can't handle it. We want we're 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 too much about. We're like little kids and we can't handle what's going to happen. But it seems like the more we get to the the election, the more you're going to hear more stuff like this happening. Um, So I don't know what you guys think about that. But uh, there was one other thing I wanted to talk to. Oh, a woman sues California because we're going to say, we're going to play this at the end of the show. I think a woman sues California because she believes she saw Bigfoot in Oregon. She said she has the pictures. And she went to the ranger and they denied it. They said it wasn't Bigfoot. So, okay. But she is so she was so terri- terrified that she got so close to this thing. and has videotape and they denied that that was it. And she believes that she should be heard. So she's suing them. So that's pretty cool. But we're going to go ahead and bring, I'm going to introduce our guest tonight. It's going to be a cool show, I believe. I think she's going to give us a little... Um, let me get this up. I want to make sure I get the bio, right? So I don't want to screw up her information, but, uh, where is she? What is it? I'm seeing it. Okay. Her name is Lena. I hope I don't screw this. Renee. Heber. Heber. We're going to she she can correct me when she comes on, but she has, she's a best selling award-winning author, actress, playwright. She's a ghost tour guide. Um, she's written, uh, let's see, a series for tour and Kensington books, A Haunted History Invis- of Invisible w- Women. I'm not sure we'll get into that. We'll see what that means. It seems, I guess, women who aren't not not really invisible. So <laughs> I think they're just not being seen. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, True Stories of American Ghosts, co-author was Andrea J- James, was a Bram Stoker Award nominee for the su- Superior Achievement in Nonfiction. Her short fiction has appeared in numerous notable anthologies, and her books have been translated into many uh, languages. Her nonfiction essay has appeared in Apex Magazine and Deadlands and *Effeminate Macrame* and more. Lena has been featured in film, television shows like *Mysteries at the Museum* and *Beyond the Unknown*, discussing Victorian spiritualism, and she's lectured around the country on themes of Gothic fiction. So, without further ado, let me bring her in. Welcome to Chase and Prophecy, Lena. I hope I didn't screw up your name that bad. Hi, I'm Leanna. Oh, Leanne, okay, I screwed that up.
1: Okay. <laughs> Hi, uh, yeah, I'm here to talk about A Haunted History of Invisible Women, True Stories of America's Ghosts, which uh, is a book that Andrea and I wrote in fall of 2022 is when it came out, and we've been talking about it um, ever since. It's been a real, uh, very popular book that has discussed how the intersection of women's history and the paranormal has a lot to say and a lot to tell us about how we view women alive and dead.
0: Okay. When you say invisible, do you mean like invisible, like that we don't see them because they're, is that what you mean? Or do you we actually mean, mean they're invisible?
1: We mean it in, in the literary sense of of sort of a double entendre. So okay. we mean it that like, yes, a lot of people don't see spirits a lot of people, or or if they do they're sort of transparent um and we also a lot of times don't see women in history we don't there's That's a, a great deal say. of invisible labor that happens now there is a book called invisible women that is directly about living women whose labor is not seen and not appreciated so we are we, we want to make sure we differentiate so this wonderful book called invisible women is about women's invisible labor. Our book, A Haunted History of Invisible Women, is about women's visibility through history and how that intersects with their ghost stories. Each woman that we talk about in this book is Mm -hmm. a woman that has a ghost story attached to her. The veracity of this uh, is sometimes, you know, completely up in the air. Uh, in, In several cases, there have been complete fabrications of stories, but even even where we note that there has been complete fabrication, the reasons why people have felt compelled to make something up, we still feel that that's important to discuss because it's still storytelling. It becomes urban legend. And at a certain point, sometimes if you believe something enough, it starts to have its own truth. It starts to kind of um, become its own reality in its way. So we try to walk the line between truth and fiction as best we could, um, without without being able to prove anything, we, Andrea and I are historians and tour guides. What we can verify is when a certain building in New York City was built, and what the city <laughs> records have to say about it, and who lived there. And then the paranormal stuff—we're we're not, frankly, personally. Uh, invested in disproving or proving one way or another because it's really about the story yeah. and then for paranormal investigators and for science to figure out at some point because I personally believe that science and the paranormal are not antithetical I think that the paranormal is probably just a science that hasn't been completely figured out in our current methods so you know we'll see on that count but I we still think the storytelling is important
0: of course it's experience uh, have you ever had any personal encounters with a paranormal I am. I,
1: yeah so if if uh as co-authors andrea and i are both kind of uh we're, we're sort of in the x-files dynamic of the Mulder and Ooh, scully yes. of that she's more the scully the the completely analytical a little bit more of a skeptic um i'm the one that's really more the believer and um and i've had more personal experiences now she's had some uncanny things that she'll be the first one to say that they've been these uh things she can't quite parse but um i've I've been having them more consistently in my life since I was a child. Um,
0: Share a couple.
1: Yeah. So I, ever since I was young, I I just, there were certain things that I would tap into that I couldn't know how I knew something. um, Things that I've sort of attributed to uh, past life knowledge, um, things about the past that I knew that i hadn't necessarily been taught yet I knew the answers to some of those things. When I first traveled to London when I was uh, in college I knew my way around even though I'd never been there and sure I'd done some studying and things like that but there's just that innate sense of being somewhere before even though you know you not have not been corporeally there some kind of connection things like that. Um, When I was researching things um, I've been a writer uh, for as long as I can remember, when I'd be researching things, because I was always interested in historical accounts, I would sometimes be tapping into things before I even read what the truth of that was. So having worked in many different haunted places, um, I also had many different uh, encounters and moments um, in different haunted spaces. So before I moved to New York City in 2005, I was living in Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, and I was living primarily in St. Paul during the, my run in the Twin Cities. And I worked for a haunted cave, uh, oh, the, Wabash- the Wabasha Street Caves. It was really cool. It was a it was a speakeasy in the 1920s and 1930s during Prohibition. And um, things would go on there that we we would sort of attribute to the boys because there were bullet mm-hmm. holes in the fireplace there. and oh, wow. there was so there was evidence of violence and so it was thought that during those mafia years when the speakeasy was a part of uh it was a location on the bootlegging run of illegal liquor coming down from Canada and over across to Chicago with Saint Paul being the hub because the mayor was really in bed with the mob at that point and like pretty much let it be a free-for-all and so the cave where I worked uh had had a history and we mm-hmm. we thought it's, it's it was not possible to really um prove this because they didn't exhume the back of caves but it's thought that the those who died in the evidence of the bullet holes um were probably buried in the back of caves um, to dispose of the bodies easily those caves had been mushroom farming caves in the 19th century so they had their own longstanding history before it became this nightclub so with all of that being said um the, the boys uh, would move things. Uh, they would turn on lights when we'd turn everything off. When I was leading tours through there, I would, would be the only staff person there. Um, it would be a nightclub at, and a, mm-hmm. at an event venue in, in the evenings. And then during the days, we would take groups through. <clears throat> so it was just one staff person there. It's just me. But the uh, old historic photographs that I would set up, they'd almost always be upside down by the time I got back to them. I'd set oh, them up wow. on the easels right side up. And then um, probably the most notable thing, the thing that, uh, kind of makes me chuckle to this day and the thing that I is the most direct evidence for me of of something uh, otherworldly is i was I was tipped by a uh, a corporate group I'd led through and they tipped me a fifty dollar bill and I was you know I was there as an actor, I was a starving artist and you know that fifty dollar bill was gonna be groceries for two weeks and uh, so I tucked this fifty dollar bill in my back pocket of my um, of my work outfit and I buttoned the back pocket. And then I went to close everything up. And when I went to the door to put that $50 bill in my wallet, um, that $50 bill was not there in my pocket that I had buttoned and had taken specific care. Like I'd folded it, I'd folded it, I'd tucked it in, I made, you know, you don't, one doesn't just be casual about a large bill. So I retraced all my steps uh, frantically. Everywhere I'd been in the back cave, in the ballroom area, in the the dining room area, um, there was only a few places that we actually would take people through um, only the finished parts of this. And so nothing was there. And I, I did this several times. And finally, I just said to the room, which is sometimes how we would have to resolve things. I, I just said to this open ballroom area, boys, I know that y- you all dealt in money, but uh, I am corporeal. <laughs> And I understand that money is what you know. It is what I know too. Uh, this corporeal body needs that fifty dollar bill. Uh, oh with all due respect, right? So I didn't know what else to do. And in my experiences, sometimes when you're when you're in a place where something odd might be happening, actually con- kind of confronting it. Actually, not in a not not in an aggressive way. I, I don't like going into a space and like being aggressive towards spirits or anything. But basically, just sort of drawing the line <laughs> is sometimes helpful. So when I went that my rounds again. There was my $50 bill laying crisp, laid out flat right below the bullet holes of the fireplace.
0: It was just laying there?
1: Laying there like it had been specifically laid out. I had folded it like four times. It was laid out right below. I hadn't even gone over there by the bullet holes. I hadn't even gone towards it. So I couldn't have dropped it over there because I hadn't gone... I hadn't gone close to it. I point it out. It's very obvious from across the dining room, all of the the the, the bullet holes and the grazing is oh very definitely
0: they were playing a trick on you.
1: So so the so I said all right well boys thanks for returning my money that's <laughs> uh that's very good of you because uh, otherwise we're gonna continue to have words so that's that's you know when people ask me like how do you deal with being in haunted spaces and I'm like well if you don't you don't like what's happening, then you do have to draw your own boundaries and you do have to sort of establish the line between, you know, what your corporeal world needs and what they're trying to, to get you to acknowledge. Um, if we have, if we have time, I'll, I'll definitely, I have a, a couple of other stories about like, yeah, go ahead. Boundaries. That's
0: what we're, that's, I'd love that, to that's hear. For? All right. So, yeah, so go for so, it. So,
1: yeah. I, I was researching another book um, in uh and and this um this didn't make it neither one of th- one of the reasons why I'm telling these particular stories too is that these stories didn't make it into a haunted history of invisible women as a book because these were stories that um I couldn't verify. The gender of the ghosts, and we were focusing just on women's stories. Um, in the case of the uh of of the bootlegging, um, the the haunted speakeasy, um, it's pretty safe to say that the bullet holes and the the deaths there were probably men. Uh, yeah, a lot of gang violence and the gang, yeah. mobster violence in that regard. So generally speaking, they didn't gun down uh ladies in in nightclubs yeah. at that point. Um so um, but uh in the in the case of um another event in uh Salem, Massachusetts, no- notoriously haunted Salem, Massachusetts, as we know, um, here was an interesting haunting that did, didn't have anything to do with the Salem witch trials, which we do write about in A Haunted History of Invisible Women because uh, of the sort of psychic uh, stain that that violence uh, has left on that, on that small town um, and how the town still grapples with that. Um, So we do talk about that in the book. But in this case, this was completely separate. This was just the case of a haunted building, namely the Hawthorne Hotel. Now, this is notably a haunted hotel. They will be the first one to tell you that. In fact, they advertise their various hauntings on their blog. um, Haunted hotels, it's good for business. Um, So I was on the sixth floor and I was there researching something that wasn't about ghosts. I was there actually just researching part of the harbor there's a little port and a little lighthouse and there's an old historic ship the friendship that sits in salem and i wanted to kind of set a piece that i was working on in that harbor area and so i wanted to walk that long pier i wanted to get a sense of the water there just get a feel for the atmosphere because as a fiction writer atmosphere is everything so i was there just for that i wasn't there for any other particularly haunted uh aspect But it was three in the morning, of course. Of course, it's three in the morning. Everything happens Um, at three
0: in the morning. huh? It's the
1: time. It's the time. So I was now I'm a pretty light sleeper, um, but I was resting really peacefully. uh, But I was awoken by a very strange sound at three in the morning. And I listened to it for a little while. Now, I should say that just because I'm a believer um, doesn't mean that I will go and believe that something that's happening is paranormal right away. I don't believe that right away because I don't think that we should let our imaginations rule us because we are powerful. Our minds are very powerful yeah, and we can are. be stuff all the time and we can uh, create a haunting just with our mind. And I've done that before. And so I don't want to lead with that. I want to lead analytically and say, OK, what am I actually hearing? What could be making that sound and why and how? And it's this very distinct sound of jingling keys. We all know the sound of jingling keys. That's something that's very familiar to us. And it was going up and down the hall, back and forth. But then I started thinking about the other things that I was and wasn't hearing. The jingling sounded far away, like I was listening to it through glass. That was curious. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, why am I not hearing footsteps? I'm just hearing the keys. I'm not hearing any footsteps. It's an old hotel. It was built in the 1920s. So not as old as some of the foundations of Salem, but it's still it's been around yeah. at that point almost a century. And an old floors creak. You can hear footsteps, even though it was carpeted, so it would have been muffled footsteps, but you would still hear footsteps. And I heard no footsteps. And so as I'm considering this, the jingling is getting closer to my end of the hall. I'm the last room at the end of the hall in room 606. And um this jingling is getting closer. And then I think to myself, why am I hearing keys at all? Because the Hawthorne Hotel right now is a, it's a key card entry. So no one would actually have their keys out to get into their room. Okay. So this is, these are two things that I, that do not add up. And so I I think, well, third time's the charm. It's going to have to be the rounds of a, of a groundskeeper, a maid, a service person who, this was part of their rounds checking in on the rooms going back and forth uh and and checking in on things from a time long ago i'm thinking this this seems perfectly normal you know this and as i'm thinking this and putting it together like oh i'm actually having a clear audience haunting of uh, of a worker here and then this jingling stops outside my room and then the next thing i hear is another sound that we all know uh the sound of a fingernail across wood a scratch
0: that's
1: a, the, that's a nasty one. A scratch on the headboard of my head, uh, of the bed. The oh, headboard geez. just above me. So It was this wooden headboard of this older, like, you know, uh, antique looking bed. And this fingernail scratch that sounded directly across it, three inches above my head. Oh. And I, you know, I don't scare easily. I've been doing, I started working in, in historic spaces right out of college. I started working in... Um, doing uh, productions involving um, uh, supernatural things uh, when I was working in theater. Um, Almost everything I've done professionally has had some angle to history and or the paranormal. So not really easy to startle, but the fingernail scratch when I couldn't see anything Mm. But just that very specific sound that really got me.
0: So I, <laughs> I yeah, because that's thing. a real distinct sound. It's so distinct.
1: Sound. And it's, it was so close. And that was the thing that was so close. That's when I, when I talk about the boundaries. Sometimes you do have to set boundaries of what you are and you aren't comfortable with. And so I, but I realized. I kind of took this moment of going into this zone of like, remember your training of working in paranormal spaces, the training being acknowledge the spirits half the time. They just want to be acknowledged half the time. They're like, like the boys in uh, St. Paul in the case. Yeah. They just wanted to prank me in this case. This was, Oh, someone's awake and they noticed me ghost notice when they've been noticed. So this was a, a way of communication because I was hearing them, not seeing them so they were giving me another audible cue and so i thought well ghosts want to be acknowledged this is a worker they probably spent a lot of time here they probably weren't thanked i always like you know yeah. i always like to tip my servers i always like to thank <laughs> the workers so i just said to the room thank you for all of your wonderful work through the years the room is very nice you've done a great job we appreciate you and then there, you know my heart is in my throat <laughs> and then jingle 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 down the hall oh. there with the that was that, that it was, that was exactly what they
0: wanted. They just be. wanted they to be acknowledged. Just
1: wanted to be acknowledged. And so that more often than not. So, so the, both of those things back to back for me, uh, within the span of just a few years really, um, was an interesting, sort of a lesson for me of, uh, I, I was given this uncanny experience. My prompt was to acknowledge and, or to speak with whatever had been doing the thing. And then I got a result. I got my money back the jingling down the hall uh, stopped, and I was not disturbed again. And, you know, the next morning, I went down to the front desk, and they were like, uh, uh, how'd you do? And I said, what well, do you have any haunting stories about 606? And they're like, 604? Yeah, but no, 606? Six, no, what would, what, what happened? <laughs> so I told the story, and they're like, can we write about this on our blog? I said, only if you let me write about it on my blog. <laughs> so mm-hmm. all of us. Street, we know that like we have to share these things because it is part of uh, it's a part of the draw. And they, these historic hotels and the historic uh, house museums that we talk about, you know, Haunted History of Invisible Women. We talk about how difficult it is for these historic homes to keep their doors open because it's just so expensive to keep uh, to maintain. So if you have a haunted story, you're going to tell it and run Halloween tours through. Yeah, the, or the in tours. The- of, of the, the Winchester mystery house that I do a whole chapter about, um, you're going to have a fine line between fact and fiction there because the, the story is what people bought into. It's why they got the ticket, even though a lot of that history was falsified. So there's it's a, it, I really understand and empathize the, the fine line that a lot of people are put into. So we do talk about the ways in which we think that that's been harmful in some cases where it's it's adding sort of insult to injury um, onto his places of historic tragedies. Um, uh, and also in some cases where it's completely taken a woman's reputation and made her into something she's not like in the case of Sarah Winchester, who was made out to be crazy when she was anything but. So one of the things that, that's most important for me about talking about spirits is also about talking about the living and where, where are our boundaries and how are we talking about people uh, in, alive and dead in the ways that we can engender a certain amount of respect and hopefully a better society. I mean, t- to be a little, to, t- to be a little hopeful about it. That's what I I'm trying. I really do feel like, you know, spirits do want to be acknowledged and I do feel like I work on behalf of the spirits in that regard um, to really be, uh, a part of their of of their experience um and and me filtering in through what i know my in my limited knowledge of being alive in this time and space i don't i don't i certainly am not going to presume to understand the great mysteries of the beyond that's 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 above my pay grade so um but in the meantime i can try to make sense of where we are and i think that ghost stories really help people process a lot of stuff and yeah. i think that's that's for me where the 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 real importance of this is is talking and having discussions with the living about the dead in a way that can help people process their grief in a way that can help people tell their own stories. Every time I talk about these kinds of things, I have people that come and bring me their ghost stories and they talk to me about things that happened to them or they, or they'll share with me about how our book helped uh, reframe how they think about storytelling and the importance of it and how to do it respectfully, which I do think you have to do.
0: Yeah, it's a unique window into the past too. And when you intertwine them, uh, the history and the and the the event yeah. that leads up to the haunting, right, so right.
1: And it makes it makes these historic houses contemporary for you. If you're having a haunted experience inside a historic home, um, it makes that very it makes that past very present for you. And mm-hmm. that's actually really exciting. And that's how you can get people interested in history that might not normally be interested in history. And I that's another mission that, you know, a, a sort of an extra benefit that ghost stories can offer.
0: Yeah. Like one of my favorite is the Winchester story. If for somebody who doesn't know, do you, can you give a little brief description of what that is?
1: Yeah. I'll talk about the Winchester house briefly. Um, it is my longest chapter. So I will, I will, I will self edit from going and waxing rhapsodic about Sarah Winchester. I think she's one of the most fascinating women in the world. Um, and uh, and I think she's been done really wrong by history, um, not because of anything she did wrong, but just because of the circumstances mm-hmm. of of her being a little eccentric and building a very quirky house. So she uh, became one of the wealthiest women in the world in the 1880s when she inherited all of this 50 uh, percent uh, of the holdings of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. So her husband, William Winchester, and her father in law, Oliver Winchester, they both died within relative uh, um quick succession of each other already after Sarah Winchester and William had lost their baby daughter. The sequence of loss hit her really hard. And she was, um, she was just devastated by all of these things. And, and then here she was after these deaths, one of the most wealthy women in the world. And so she, Mm -hmm. she was in Connecticut. Um, and the, uh, Winchester Repeating Arms Company continued production in Connecticut. She moved out west uh, to kind of get away from all the places and spaces that reminded her of, of William and her big girl and her, you know, all the stuff that was full of loss for her. And she didn't, she was very shy. She's very introverted. She did not want to be a part of high society. And as a wealthy woman at that point, you were supposed to be a centerpiece of high society. She wanted nothing to do with that. She was really introverted. And so she kind of hid out in this uh, eight-room farmhouse that quickly became, over the course of the next 15 years, uh, a 160-room mansion that just kept going on and on and on and on. It's a sh- it's a house within a house. It's sort of a Russian nesting doll of a house. Yeah. You can still see the pieces of, the original, of that original farmhouse. And the reason why it's so quirky and the reason why it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense is because Sarah designed it herself and she had the money to implement uh, workers building it for her. She was fascinated by architecture. It was one of the things that her and William loved was talking about construction. They had helped uh, manage the building of uh, of Oliver Winchester, uh, of his new home, and that was some of the happiest memories that she had with William was of managing this property and seeing a new house come to fruition. And something about that really captured her. And so she subscribed to every single architectural journal that existed at the time. And then she would just sketch out her designs and then pay workers twice the going rate of anybody that was paying for any labor in California. She'd yeah. be twice that. And she engendered this uh, loving group of people. She would give her workers uh, houses on her 160 property, 160 acre. So it was both 160 acres and 160 room mansion. It was this huge sprawl. And uh, she, it was all um, farmland. It was orchards and that paid for the house itself. It was a huge operation, um, but but the orchards were profitable and she was getting money from the repeating arms company. Um, but there was a lot of people that had a lot to say about her and they didn't have access to her. So rumors spread really quickly about why was she doing what she was doing? Was she very quickly during her lifetime, the rumor spread that she was a spiritualist who had been told by a psychic to go West uh, because you are being pursued by the ghosts of those killed by the Winchester rifle. Sarah never said one way or another, how she felt about the guns. Um, Uh It was one of the Oliver Winchester had created the company, had, had bought, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, he bought it to try to get uh, contracts for the Union soldiers. Um, He wanted to actually, for for the Winchester Repeating uh, Arms Company to be the company of the Union Army. Um, That contract didn't happen, um, but uh, Westward Expansion did. And it was a gun used by lots of folks. Uh, Native American tribes used the Winchester rifle. They called it the spirit gun because it kept firing. Mm. And so, you know, it was, there were, there's lots of anxieties about gun violence that our country's not ever come to terms with um, that were being kind of put on to this woman and her choices that people couldn't fathom. Um, why was she building this endless house? Well, she frankly, it was like a dollhouse. She just had the money to make it real. And she <laughs> yeah. just- she just so- kept on so there's no verify there's no verifiable name that that tracks with any of the people who were advising and being a spiritualist at the time there's nothing that tracks it to a specific person and the people closest to her her niece and her workers her secretaries they said no she wasn't a spiritualist she never held séances here i don't know what you're talking about but it was a convenient thing for people to say because it was this juicy rumor mill about the lady with all this money who doesn't <clears throat> let anybody in the house. She was cultivating sort of air of mystery, not because she wanted to, but just because everyone wanted access to this wealthy lady who was only ever seen in veils. She never stopped mourning William. She never remarried. That was another thing. Here's this wealthy lady. Women are supposed to get remarried, especially at that time in the yeah, late nineteenth. Really. 19- century. Here she was, the queen of her castle with no lord over the manor, as it were. And and folks wanted in. They wanted access to big parties and things like that. She didn't let anybody in. She was only seen under a mourning veil. She had rheumatoid arthritis. It was starting to disfigure her. She was very self-conscious. But it made it much more of a story to be that she's this you know crazy lady who's eccentrically building on her house to stave off the ghosts who want to get her. And that that myth completely became codified when she died, and the house was not mentioned in her will. She didn't mention the house in her will to
0: anybody. So she built she built the extra rooms to ward off. She wanted to confuse the ghost, or no? Not
1: that's all. That's all a story. I'm sorry to break. I'm sorry to burst anybody's bubble, but that's all a made up story. She kept building because she enjoyed the process of architecture. I don't so think she, she ever just, she just thought did it
0: because she enjoyed making a bigger she home.
1: Ma- she enjoyed architecture. She loved employing people. And she, her father was a woodworker and he built cabinets and she loved woodworking and she loved the craft of it. Um, she, I think in her mind, um, now there is eccentricity here, like- while she wasn't completely a mad woman and building feverishly to uh, appease the ghost, that was never something she said to anybody. That was never something she wrote about. That was never something that any of her loved ones who were in the house and neighbor staff ever verified. They're like, that, that was a story to get people to buy tickets to that haunted house that opened after her death. But so the reality is that, yeah, it's a quirky choice. Um, And so, yes, there's an eccentricity there. There there was an obsession with building, but it wasn't necessarily tied to this madness of trying to escape ghosts. In this this regard, it was just kind of um, her hobby. It was like a train layout for somebody who's a model train enthusiast. Now, you know, is the place haunted? Sure, but it's haunted by people who lived there and loved her. She had a very close relationship with her staff. Some of the additions that don't make sense are because with her rheumatoid arthritis, there's only certain places she could get around in the house. So she made some adjustments to be able to actually get around the house. The switchback yeah, staircase crazy. That has these tiny little steps, it's not there to confound anybody. It's there because she could only lift her leg a little bit. And there's certain oh, yeah. passages that were built because she had a wheelchair and there was a little bit of an... Uh, they, they She had a an early um, electric elevator that would go into some parts of the house. There's other doors that go to nowhere. Yes. Because in when the 1907 earthquake hit, uh, half of the house fell down yeah. um, seven stories. And then it became four stories after the earthquake and uh, she didn't rebuild. And because she didn't rebuild that really made a lot of Californians angry. They thought she was sort of, you know, def- People wanted to rebuild. That was like an act of defiance. It was an act of like, we are stronger than nature. And that was, yeah. a, real, that was a real thing. And so because she didn't rebuild any of those floors and to just let the door go to nowhere, people had a lot of opinions about that. And they wrote about them in the newspaper about how this crazy lady wouldn't rebuild. And all of these things just became this aggregate rumor mill
0: um, yeah, that ha-
1: has a little bit more practicality than it does of any of the myths and legends, but the myths and legends took had taken hold during her lifetime and were kind of impossible to to put back in the box once those had gotten out. And the building opened a year after her death as the Winchester Mystery House because a guy the guy who took it over was an, an amusement park operator.
0: So, so he's my- like, okay did we're he make, make up all these? Shows. Yeah, did he make up all the stories that went along with? you know when you yeah, get, the, when you were
1: talking to- with thirteen, um, she did have some of the staircases did have thirteen steps, um, but the this the thirteen seance hooks in the in in the seance room. Uh, Those were added. Um, A staff person can tell you that, um, that that seance room was a gardener's bedroom. Um, It was not a seance room. Um,
0: Was there any stories that were like ghost stories that were true? Do you recall when you wrote the book? uh, There are
1: uh, the house is haunted. There are the staff haunts the house.
0: So and there the are, staff, not the people from the who were killed with the Winchester. None gun. of
1: that tracks. None of that's the people all. Made out. All of that was Hollywood. Um, okay. I mean, I, I, Helen Helen Mirren did a beautiful job playing Sarah Winchester for that film. And the thing that she got right about Sarah Winchester is that she was smart. She was kind. She was generous. She gave millions of dollars in 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 those days money, millions of dollars away to charity. Um, and a lot of it anonymously and, uh, she was very generous, but, and, but she very much did have her head on her shoulders. She just was quirky and liked building. I think in her original plan, she wanted to have the rest of her remaining family live out there with her. She had moved out there because a sister had moved out there and, and she, the the land reminded her of a place that her and William had been on their honeymoon. And it just, there was a nostalgia there, but I think at a certain point, her own pain she did live with relatives there but i think she wanted the kind of idea of housing being able to house everybody and reclaim a certain sense of family that she'd lost there really was a grieving oh, widow yeah. at the heart of this a grieving mother at the heart of this mm-hmm. and the grief is there and you can feel that and the house still remembers like now this is this is me kind of putting this on the house a little bit but when i went into the room where sarah passed. so you, she did pass you've the been house. there oh yeah oh I, I was not about to write about this place without how long did it there. take
0: for you to go through the whole house
1: um hours because i yeah. i signed up for multiple tours and then i also uh, uh was gifted the generous time
0: of the house historian
1: who took me did around. You,
0: can you stay there or do you have to get like a hotel
1: you can't stay there no you, you, can't did, stay that, there. you cannot stay there um okay. yeah so I, it was a I, I was I was at the nearby Days Inn, but but you cannot stay in the house. Um, they, it's open. You know, they they lead tours just about every day, but but no one is allowed to stay there. Um, but when you
0: say she had I have rheumatoid arthritis, and my house is nothing. I mean, it's like three thousand square. It's big. And I have a hard time coming through it every day. Yeah. I can't, did she ever go through the whole house? I mean, not,
1: or- no. Once the rheumatoid arthritis got really bad, mo- most of the areas were not used and not functional so that it, the building was an obsession. So that was, a, the, the building was a, a bit of a compulsion and so that has its own kind of quirk and oddness to it for sure. I'm not saying she was not without her eccentricity. She certainly was. But the reasons for it were more of just a fondness than it was being driven by a madness or being driven by this this concept of appeasing the ghosts. That was a convenient narrative that the uh, amusement park owners made because that, that's the thing. The building was going to be torn down. it was it was a year after her death. She didn't name the house to anybody in her will all the interior items were auctioned off by her niece um and and they had a legal assessor take a look at it and they deemed it of no value because they didn't know Mm. how to use it because so so much of it was just a little nonsensical and and not all of it was fully uh finished a lot of it was unfinished and so they were going to tear it down and then this amusement park uh gentleman john brown was like you know what the mystery house over in my Niagara falls amusement park has a lot of visitors. They love this mystery house with this narrative attached to going through this haunted house. And so he created a haunted house. And so, so much of what we have and, and it went into books as just, this is fact that he took over her house and he got to, to create the narrative and he was doing it to, to uh, as a financial enterprise and, and, you know what, I can't completely blame him because if he hadn't have come in and done that, that house would have been turned down. We wouldn't have this story to tell. We wouldn't know anything about trying to separate the fact from the fiction about Sarah Winchester. So, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those interesting things where sometimes does the fictions created about somebody justify doing it?
0: <laughs> yeah. I,
1: I don't know. See, that's, and and I don't necessarily try to tell you what to think. What I What I do try to do is give you a sense of, the generosity of Sarah Winchester, her love of her staff, the staff's love of her, and the fact that it yes, it is haunted. Don't don't you worry when you go to the Winchester House, you will hear stories of the hauntings. There are sounds. There are things that have um, people have been seen who are staff who you can see in photos are from the early 1900s who are walking around the grounds. Um, Clyde is the most famous one. He's in his boater hat, and it's very. Clyde really loves the house and people have seen him often. He's the most reported ghost there. Um, he's in a very distinct hat and people just think he's a part of the staff that, you know, because the staff do have a uniform, like a, a, for the, for the women, they have a long uh, skirt and like a striped blouse. And so everyone has a bit of a uniform and it's a little bit of a period look. So people just think he's staff and they're like, Oh no, that's Clyde. And then they point to this, you know, picture of the staff and there he is. Mm-hmm. Um. So again, the place is haunted, but it's just not haunted in the way that people think. I think that people want to make hauntings out to be these big jump scare things. I don't think that's the case in the Winchester house. I will say that when I went into the room where she passed away, she did, she did die in that house. Um, when I went into that room, my, my heart, uh, actually had a, like I had a palpitation Mm. and time did that weird thing that it does sometimes when you're in a place where, where there's a, where there's some kind of, of haunted, uh, resonance like energy. Um, yeah you can feel the energy and I I I didn't know that was the room that Sarah passed away and I just had this moment I had this experience I had this physical reaction and then the tour guide told us that that was the room where she passed and it was we had seen other bedrooms that had been created to look like recreated to look like what they would have likely looked like at that point although there weren't many interior photographs ever taken of the Winchester Mansion. Um, so they were rebuilding a lot of it and replacing it with period appropriate furniture. Everything had been sold off after her death. Um, so it was an approximation. So I, we'd been in other bedrooms and I didn't know that this was the one that had been hers. And then that, that heart palpitation was a little bit um, uh, telling because then they said that she actually did die of, of a heart complication
0: oh, wow. in that room.
1: And so, something, something in me and something in my body kind of knew and felt that ahead of hearing that. Um, so if you're open to things, you will experience something there. You'll feel it. Um, and then when it's Halloween, they do a terrifying haunted house that they create and they, yes, they make jump scares for you. And then you can go and be absolutely terrified because they do like Hollywood (laughs) special effects, everything. It's, it's incredible. It's a great setting for these things. And again, the house has to make money. It's, the guy who runs it now and owns it now is, uh, you know, used to work at Disney. So, you know, there it's, everybody's got to figure out how to.
0: It's a great tour attraction.
1: So it's a tourist attraction. And that's the house historian is like, she said to me, she's like, I have to walk a very fine line because I, you know, I have respect for Sarah and she could tell that I did too. Um, So, so I encourage my guides to say, here's the myths that were told. Here's the truth of it. Here's this strange house. It is weird. It's confounding. You get completely confused. I got so lost. Tour guides who work there still get lost. Um, so it is confounding. So there's absolutely reasons why in a lot of these cases where there's there's stuff there that's weird and unusual, and and it draws us in. Um, I just prefer when people know the fact versus fiction is all. Well.
0: That's good. That the, I like. I like how you do that. Um, Victorian spiritualism plays a significant role in your work. Okay. What aspects of the period fascinates um, with the a- fascination with the afterlife? Do you find most compelling?
1: The, the whole realm of Victorian spiritualism is to me, it's so fascinating because there's, there's two tracks to it. There's the people who are legitimately trying to help, um and sort of serve as the role of modern grief counselors and there were many people who were absolutely legit as actual psychic mediums who were working probably very quietly People whose names were never on theatrical marquees, people who were not out for their ego, people who were just doing it almost like an itinerant preacher or, or a traveling doctor going from kind of house to house and then just asking for enough money to get to the next place and just living very simply and looking at it as a calling in that regard. Those are the type of spiritualists that didn't get famous. Um, The Mm. ones that did were the ones that put on elaborate shows and liked to fool people. So there were plenty of folks who got into spiritualism because it was popular, because they enjoyed a a parlor seance uh, full of tricks. A lot of them were very good magicians. And so most of the really famous cases that we know, a lot of which were debunked, were about the spiritualists who were trying to pull the wool over eyes. And also I think there's, There is room for a a sort of a third class of people who are probably psychically gifted and and who I believe uh, did have some talents. But because audiences expected something night after night, and I know from my own personal experiences, ghosts are kind of like cats. They don't always come when they're called. So sometimes you have to resort to tricks because everyone was a paying customer at a certain point and you had to deliver on something and, and ghosts are unpredictable. And so they, they're they not reliable. So a lot of times there would be maybe a legitimate sensitive who did have to rely on, uh, if they weren't able to make a connection, they're gonna have to rely on a magic trick to give the audience what they wanted. And some people, even after folks were debunked, uh, they'd still go back. They would still pay to go again because they enjoyed the show. Of yeah. it. So it, it was this fascinating uh, mix of, of yearning to connect, at a time when, in the 19th century, even though technology was rampantly making new, interesting technologies for us, um, we, you know, the Victorian era saw the birth of telecommunication, um, wire, uh, wireless uh, uh, transmissions. We have the we have telegraphs to telephones to electricity, mass migration from rural areas to city areas. You have all of this change and people were like, where does our, sp- where, what about our spirit? And, and people were still dying of, of lots of outbreaks of uh, cholera, yellow fever, red fever, um, you know, tuberculosis, all, all kinds of mass death of uh, women dying in childbirth. It was a really, really high number. Infants, one out of every five infant did, infants didn't make it past their fifth birthday. Uh, it was a real time where people were struggling to hold on to faith because faith was also splintering into all kinds of different factions. And you have the birth of all kinds of new uh, offshoot religions. You have interest in the occult. Um, you have interest in all of these different things that is uh, across all the Abrahamic phase, they're, they're creating new different um, schools of thought. And mm-hmm. so this was a real huge time of not only technological innovation, but of like Spiritual and philosophical innovation and questioning, and the thing that I find most interesting is that this was an area where women were at the core of it of the spiritualist movement. Women were at the core of it. Um, the Fox sisters were were the were the inventors, basically, quote unquote, of spiritualism. Um, but they were tapping into what was already in place between the Shakers uh, and the Quakers, who were Society of Friends. The Quaker movement was very interested in communing with the Holy Spirit, but a lot mm-hmm. of the language of the spiritualist movement adopted a lot of Quaker and the later Shaker terms of thought, and the Shakers were founded by a woman, Mother Ann Lee, who was a, a, a who was in, was interested in um, women being a core part of spirituality, and so that movement, even though it um, kind of petered out there are there are still some practicing shakers and the reason why they get that name both shakers and quakers are because of the of the trembling with the power of the holy spirit and the connection with the spirit world um being a, a physical manifestation there it was originally used very pejoratively towards them but then they had sort of adopted it but the society of friends is the actual name for uh quaker school
0: Oh, so, it's such a it's such a our, captivating topic um where can people find your work
1: so A Haunted History of Invisible Women, True Stories of America's Ghosts, can be found wherever books are sold. So it is uh, published with Kensington Books. And uh, so if, if it's not on your local Barnes & Noble shelf, you can order it in. Uh, Barnes & Noble has been pretty good about making sure it's always on their shelves. We thank them for that. Independent bookstores are great. If you have a local small bookshop you want to support, we would love if you would grab a copy there. Um, so I'm at LianaReneHeber.com. So if you just put my name into uh, the search bar, you'll come up with my website. There's retailer links there. Um, I'm on all the social medias. Uh, you- how often I check them is questionable, but <laughs> but, but that, I'm around.
0: Is that a uh, do you have any? Fi- is that a fiction book that you wrote to a series?
1: So I have. 16 fiction books out so yes i have tons of fiction books so if you want if, if you want my fiction you can look me up and you can find me again wherever books are sold the the book that we've been talking about that you'll you'll see a whole chapter on sarah winchester a whole discussion I of have, victorian spiritualism and women's women's involvement in victorian spiritualism which is really what i'm most interested in um in is the women's angle of the spiritualist movement. it's
0: mostly historical um uh, non-fiction fiction
1: This is, this is my only nonfiction so far, all the rest of my books are fiction and they all involve ghosts. So, um, so this is nonfiction, but my fiction is all also ghostly. So ghosts are the core of everything that I do, whether it's fiction or not. You have a
0: fascination with ghosts. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Ever since I was a kid. It just was the one of the first books I remember reading was a chapter book about ghosts. So well, that's
0: awesome. We'll have to have you back on and talk about more about your ghost stories because they, they love hearing about ghost stories. But unfortunately we're running out of time and um, I
1: appreciate you for thank I you for your time.
0: Found it so interesting, especially Winchester. I love that story. Um yes, thank you. Thank you for letting me wax wrap up. Yes, <laughs> I do love that story. Uh so so wonderful having you on the show. We'll have to bring you back. Um, I'm so so good to see you. Um, Everybody, thank you for joining us tonight on FM 107.7 in New Orleans and 105.3 in Henderson Park, Mississippi. I keep saying park, it's point. And this was sponsored by the United Public Radio. You have a great night. Thanks. Everyone, thanks again for joining us on Chasing Prophecy.